Hey everyone, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. How you been? It's been quite a while since I've had an episode. I appreciate everybody who sent me emails and asking, is the podcast still uh, still a thing? Are you still around? Are you still going to do episodes? Yes, it's still alive and well, just on a temporary hiatus. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But for now, we have a more important matter, and that is that Recording Lounge is celebrating 10 years as a podcast. 10 years. Whew. It's been a long time doing this podcast, and um, I'd like to continue doing it. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. So in honor of 10 years for the Recording Lounge podcast, I've decided to put out four episodes that are all top 10 lists. So these are my top 10 favorite microphones, my top 10 favorite plugins, my top 10 favorite guitar and bass tools, and my top 10 favorite studio tools in general. These these aren't just uh, countdowns here. I'm going to talk about why all of these things matter and why you should consider getting these or something similar to help your workflow, to help your efficiency, to make your day-to-day job just more fun, easy, enjoyable, quick, and smooth. So let's get started. This first episode, we're going to talk about my top 10 favorite microphones. Coming in at number 10, my number 10 favorite microphone is the classic SM57. Now, I've done some YouTube videos. If you guys haven't checked out my YouTube page, I have posted a handful of YouTube videos in the last, you know, nine months, 10 months, um, even when I haven't had episodes. But I've done some shootouts of various SM57s. Over the last year, I've kind of uh, rekindled my obsession of different SM57s from the different eras, the Unidynes and, um, you know, the modern made ones and uh, even some clones, even some uh, like uh, Japanese ripoffs that are actually not, they don't sound that good, but they do have an interesting thing. Anyway, I've done a lot of different shootouts between these various SM57 versions. And at the end of the day, all of them have a thing. And it's a it's a sound we've heard on millions and millions of recordings uh, for guitar, for snare drum, um, but we've also heard it on toms and on vocals and on bass cabinet and on trumpet and on piano and kind of anything. Um, is it a great sounding mic on its own? Not really, but the interesting thing about the SM57 is it's cheap, it's super durable, and it it has a specific character that really lends itself to um, to the sources that we generally put them on, like guitar amps, for example. When you an SM57 by itself doesn't have a lot of low end, it doesn't have a lot of top end clarity either. Um, but it has a lot of mid range, and when you put it close up on a cabinet, the proximity effect helps fill in the low end. And the upper mids really capture a guitar amp really well. And because there's not tons of clarity above like 7K, it kind of rolls off that area. But on a guitar, that kind of rolls off some of that fizz that you don't really need anyway. So even though on its own, it's not a great sounding mic, it does a specific thing that really can save you a lot of time in certain instances. Now, of course, often we're combining the mic with something else, maybe a 57 and another 57, or a 57 and a ribbon, a 57 and a 421, 57 and a condenser, you name it. But uh, the 57 will forever be, it kind of has to be on your top 10 favorite microphones just because of 
the legacy and how many things it can work on. It can work on snare. It can work on snare top or bottom, toms, hi-hat. I mean, you can kind of put it anywhere um, and it'll get a usable sound. Um, there are some singers I work with that that is their favorite mic for their vocal. I, I don't know why, but it just sounds like it sounds right to them. So yeah, the SM57, number 10 on my favorite microphone list. Number nine, this is a bit of an unknown mic, and unfortunately, you can't really get it anymore, um, at least not very easily. This is the Charter Oak E700. Now, my version that I'm talking about is the original version with the matte silver body, uh, black, uh, black body casing, but the actual head basket is a matte silver or like almost like a brushed nickel. Um, the new production versions are like a chrome kind of look, and they have this red shock mount, um, and there's, they sound different than the old ones, um, but they still sound good. But the thing with the Charter Oak E700, it's one of the most extended microphones I've ever heard, meaning on the top and the bottom. It seems to go an octave below other microphones that I have. Um, and it has a ton of output. So the thing that really sold me on these mics is I remember seeing a SoundPure video where they recorded a grand piano with them. And it was one of the deepest, fullest sounding grand pianos I've ever heard. Now, obviously, you know, the grand piano itself is a fantastic instrument. But um, I bought a pair of the mics and I... I've just been blown away with them ever since. I mean, they're amazing as room mics. They're amazing on piano. Um, it has lived on the outside of my kick drums for the last eight years. It's an amazing outside kick mic. Uh, you have to put the pad on for sure down to negative 20 um, because it has a ton of output already and putting it on a, you know, <laughs> on an, on the outside of a kick drum is, is not necessarily a quiet thing, right? Um, I've used it on guitar cabinets, I've used it on bass cabinets, I've used it on room mics, I've used it on vocals. It's not the most interesting mic for uh, lead vocal or acoustic guitar, um, but anywhere where you need sort of like uh, like God's 414, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just kind of a run-of-the-mill, like kind of a flat sound, but like very good, very clear, very extended bottom end. Um, like people say that phrase a lot, like, ah, oh, extended bottom end, but like this mic really does have it. I mean, it feels like it goes down to 10 Hertz. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, so that mic is, has definitely got to be on my top 10. If you can find the original version, you can usually find them used for about 600 to 800 bucks. Um, just remember the original version is, uh, a matte silver head basket and you know, uh, top and bottom of the body. And the shock mount is like your classic screw-on type, not the new one with the red ring. Now, the new one does sound good as well, but it doesn't seem to have as much low end, and it seems to have a bit more coloration in the mids, which I think does make it sound a little better on uh, vocals and guitar, but not quite as good on the things that I really liked it on. <laughs> so, yeah, Charter Oak E700. Coming in at number eight, the Royer 122. Now, I love my Royer 121, and I use it on guitar a lot. 
but the 122 takes that same basic sound and expands it to something that, man, I, it just becomes so much more versatile with the active electronics. Um, you can use a 122 on cello or violin without fear of being too low output. You could use it on trumpet or trombone or any horn instrument with amazing results. It sounds amazing on guitar amps, clean or dirty. It sounds amazing on really anything percussion-wise, so overheads or sounds great on xylophone, sounds great on... And it sounds great on instruments that are rather bright, so like banjo or mandolin. Um, it can be a little bit tubby on acoustic guitar just because acoustic guitar naturally has quite a bit of low end. Um, but man, it, it's such a great overall ribbon microphone that works on almost anything for smoothing it out and thickening it up. So I use it on strings. I'll use it on horns. I use it on guitar amps. I'll use it on um, an overhead. I'll use it on you know all kinds of stuff. Mandolin, it's really great on mandolin. Um, you know, I've used it on dobro. I've used it on slide guitar. I've used it on uh, you know like a pedal steel or lap steel. I mean, it's really it's really an awesome ribbon mic and. and Yes, it is pricey, but if you can get yourself a 122, I highly recommend it. Now, I don't have the 122V. I have some friends that say, oh, that one smokes the regular 122. I haven't tried the 122V, so I, I can't really speak much to that. But some people say it's kind of one step further than the 122. Uh, so I'd really like to try one of those. But uh, for now, I love my Royer 122. Number seven is the Bach iFet. Now, this mic isn't crazy popular. Not a lot of people talk about it as a really, really good microphone or like one that everybody should have or at least consider. But to me, this is one of the strangest surprises I've ever had from a solid state mic. Um, this microphone is like a weird combination of a 47 FET and a KM84. And that's because that's kind of how the two circuits inside of it have been modeled after. So there's a V mode and an I mode, which uh, is kind of like vocals, instruments, but, you know, use whichever one sounds best. But the V mode is actually based on the KM84 uh, amplifier circuit. And it's that plus a large diaphragm capsule. And then the I mode is more based on like the flatter sort of FET 47 circuit, um, which has a little bit more headroom, doesn't distort as, as early, and uh, again, still has that same capsule. It's a cardioid only mic. It has the yoke mount kind of like attached to it. But I can tell you, man, this mic sounds amazing. It sounds amazing on acoustic guitars. It sounds amazing on vocals, amazing on outside kick drum, amazing on guitar amps, bass amps. Um, sounds great on horns. I mean, it, it's it's one of my favorite solid state mics ever made in terms of, um, you know, what what really gets the job done and I can put it up and feel confident that I'm going to get a great sound, you know. Um, that's hard. A lot of times, you know, you, we feel like we have to have lots of microphones to accomplish lots of different things. And, and yeah, we kind of do. But if I could go back in time and if I got myself a Bach iFet, it would kind of replace like four different mics for me um, that I currently own. <laughs> it's a really great mic. You can get a lot of great sounds out of it. Um, clients have, have loved the sound of it on vocals um, for being really smooth and full for a solid state mic. It doesn't have that sort of like bright uh, kind of fizzly top end that a lot of solid state large diaphragm mics 
can have. Um, so a lot of people will grad, you know, uh, they'll be like, oh, well, you got to get a tube mic to get that like big warm sound. Um, but this, the iFET is one of the fullest, warmest sounding solid state mics I've ever used. Um, so kudos to David Bach because it is amazing. All right. Number six is the Shure SM7. Now, everybody probably knows what this microphone is. It's kind of the big brother to the SM57. I'm talking on one right now, and most of the podcast episodes in the last couple years have been done on an SM7. Now, what's so special about this mic? In truth, not a whole lot. It's basically like a flatter, less colored, fuller sounding SM57. Um, but it kind of has... It, it kind of has no end to its usefulness. Like this is the simplest mic to set up for a scratch vocal because it sounds good. Um, you don't have to put up a pop filter. It can take ungodly amounts of level. So it works for any genre, whether it's a screamer or a really intimate singer. You've got two EQ switches in the back to add a high presence boost or a low cut. It works on guitar amps. It works on snare drum. It works on horns. It works on, you know, almost anything. Um, not super great, obviously, in like your typical condenser positions like overheads, obviously, but, you know, neither is an SM57. But to me, this is one of the greatest dynamic mics ever made. Um, it's 350 bucks or 400 buck, bucks brand new. You can find them used all the time. Um, and they just work. They can take so much level and they have the built, the pop filters built on right on the end. Um, it has that uh, sort of metal cage behind. And I mean, I've had mine for 10 years and it's been solid ever since. Never had a single issue with it. The only downside with this microphone is that it's very, it's kind of low output. Um, but we're actually going to talk about a device a little bit later on uh, the next episode where we talk about uh, the DM1 Dynamite, and that kind of solves the problem for that mic, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the SM7, every studio needs one. I don't care who you are, what you record, it's, an, it's you know, such a classic mic for vocals, for uh, guitar amps. I mean, it's it's really underrated on guitar amps. It sounds amazing on guitar amp. Um, it, it sounds great on snare. I mean, it's there's really kind of no end to its usefulness. I do think it's the best dynamic mic uh, out. Um, com I would say head-to-head -head competition with like the Sennheiser 441, but that's a totally different kind of sound. Um, this is like a like I said, like a really good SM57. Um, so anyway, the Shure SM7 is number six. Number five, the AEA N22. So this is another mic that not a lot of people talk about, and I don't know why. To me, this is one of the most useful, if not the most useful ribbon mic that I own. It's basically the... AEA R92, which is one of their sort of, you know, popular ribbons designed for close miking, except it has an active preamp circuit in it and it's shaped differently and it's a little easier to place. But the thing about this mic is it has all the things you like about a ribbon mic, the smooth top end, the warm uh, proximity effect, the figure eight pattern, but it doesn't have uh, that sort of 
overly fat, overly low mid heavy sound, and it doesn't have the overly dark, overly dull sound. It's it's like you took a ribbon mic and you tightened up the low end and you brightened it up just a little bit, which is kind of the things you often have to do when processing a ribbon mic. And let me tell you, this microphone, I adore. It sounds amazing on acoustic guitar, on vocals, on, you know, backing vocals can be really great for this. Sounds great on guitar amps, sounds great on acoustic instruments of all kinds. Banjo, mandolin, sounds great as a tom mic, amazing tom mic. Um, You gotta be, you know, you don't want to hit it, but it does sound amazing as a tom mic. Um, There's really no end to what this microphone can, can do. Uh, and with the active output electronics, you don't really have to worry about noise or, you know, not getting enough level. I mean, it's a really stellar mic and it's not too expensive. I think they're like 800 or 900 bucks brand new. Um, I recommend this mic to all of my students and anybody who's wanting to get into the ribbon mic world. Um, this is one of the first mics I recommend to them because it, you know, some people when they'll try out like a Cascade Fathead, no offense to the company awesome company. I love what they do. But the Cascade Fathead is exactly what they describe it as. It's very fat and lots of low mid thickness, um, not a ton of top end. And a lot of times when people will try a mic like that, they'll be like, oh, is this what all ribbon mics are like? Are they all super dark and super fat? And the answer is no, they're not all super dark and super fat. There are tons of ribbon mics that are not. For example, the the Samar uh, VL37A, that mic is not dark at all. Um, the Masonovic or Masonovic, uh, model two or model. I mean, those mics aren't dark at all. Um, even the Bayer, uh, M160 is not that dark for a ribbon mic. Um, there are ribbon mics out there that aren't crazy dark, but that do have a pretty smooth top end roll off. Now kind of where that roll off is, is dependent on the microphone, right? Some are, some start rolling off at like 8k and others roll off at like 15k. Um, so, you know, they all do seem to have a characteristic top and roll off, but not all of them are what I would call dark. Um, the N22, it's one of my favorite microphones that I own, and it's not even one of my most expensive mics, but I, I would feel comfortable using it on guitar amp any day for any genre. Um, it's super durable, and even still, AEA has amazing service. If you ever have problems with it, you can send it in, and they'll fix it for you for free or cheap. Um, it sounds great on hi-hats, it sounds great on overheads, it sounds great on toms, it sounds great on horns, it sounds great on strings. I mean, I love that mic. I can't say enough good things about it. All right, number four, the Mojave MA300. And I will also put in here the Mojave MA200 because they do sound very, very similar. Um, This microphone, I sort of tried on by accident. Somebody had one. And uh, they were like, hey, can you check this mic out and make sure that something sounds wrong with it? Or maybe I just have a bad cable or something. Turns out it was a bad cable. Um, So I I fixed the cable for him and I plugged it in and tried it out and it worked. And I was like, wow, this microphone sounds great. Um, And I ended up using it on acoustic guitar and vocals that weekend. And I had to give it back to him on Monday. But I was like, man, this microphone sounds really good. And uh, again, not crazy expensive, really durable, and contrary to a lot of microphones out there, it doesn't have too much mid-range or too much top. Like, I feel like a lot of Neumann-style microphones are, you know, fairly bright and they have a big, healthy mid-range. 
And the Mojave stuff is interesting because, so the Mojave mics are designed by David Royer, um, same from Royer Ribbons, and they have a little bit of a mid-scoop in them, which actually kind of works in a lot of situations. You know, sometimes you find that you'll have to scoop some mids out on certain instruments or vocals or, you know, as a room mic or whatever. And the other thing is that it's not nearly, I mean, it's not bright. It's not a bright, harsh mic at all. Um, it's one of my favorite microphones for overheads. It's one of my favorite microphones for mono overhead. It's one of my favorite room mics. It's one of my favorite acoustic guitar microphones. Sounds amazing on guitar amps. Sounds great on strings. Um, sounds great on vocals. Uh, it's a really interesting mic. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as your only condenser, um, but man, it sure works really, really well. And I feel like it complements other microphones really well. Um, so it's kind of like if you had two condenser mics, I would, re if you could say what two condenser mics should I get, I would recommend probably the Mojave MA300 or 200 as the other one. You know what I mean? Um, because there are lots of microphones that sound like the Neumann style or, you know, such and such, but there aren't a lot of mics out there that sound like these Mojaves. Um, I really, really like them. They're really fantastic microphones. The only uh, issue I've ever had with mine is that um, the capsules seem to be rather sensitive to moisture and humidity. So if it's humid, really humid in the room, um, sometimes you'll have some weird sort of like uh, fluttering sounds or almost like a static type sound on the mic. Um, but there's actually a little trick that I learned from a Mojave tech that I was talking to on the phone. And he said, um, you know, obviously make sure you keep the microphone in the case. Uh, if you want to put one of those little like silica gel packets that absorbs moisture in there, you can do that too. He said, but, uh, if you actually put the microphone under a heat lamp or just a really hot light bulb for like 10 minutes, it will generally evaporate any moisture that's on or near the capsule. And uh, I had a session where I was having that issue, and I actually tried that out. I put it, I put a heat lamp on it for you know with a really hot like a uh, hundred watt bulb, um, just right on right over the microphone for like ten minutes, and it totally solved the problem, and it was perfect all day. Um, and the other little bit of story I have with the Mojave mics is um, the first time that happened, I didn't realize what that was. Uh, and so I sent it into Mojave just to have them check it out. And not only did they not charge me anything to fix it, um, be, uh, but when I, when they received it, I got a phone call from David Royer himself. And he was like, hi, I'm David Royer. I've got your microphone on my bench. Uh, can you tell me what's wrong with it? And even though I already filled out the form and everything, like the man himself called me and said, please uh, explain to me what's wrong so I can fix it for you. And when I told him and when he was looking at it, he was looking at it right there, um, he was explaining things to me and saying like, well, see, I've done this. I've checked this out. It's fine. You don't have to worry about that. If anything else is wrong, just let me know. I'd be happy to you know, fix it for you. And that kind of service from, from somebody kind of legendary in the microphone world, I mean, for Royal Ribbons, I mean, geez. Um, it's, it's unprecedented. You, you very rarely 
get to talk to the person who designed the mic. Uh, and very ra- even more rarely is that person the one who's fixing it on their bench. Um, nobody knows more about that microphone than David Royer, and he's the one looking at it, fixing it, and asking me questions and helping me understand what's wrong with it or whatever. Um, so I, I can't say enough good things about Mojave or Royer as a company, but uh, the Mojave MA300 and 200 are definitely mics that you should consider keeping around. Number three is the AEA R88. Now, this microphone is not for everybody, and it doesn't work in everybody's room, and some people don't like this mic, but it is one of my favorite microphones ever made, and basically what it is is a stereo R84. Um, So the R84 is a classic AEA microphone. Um, You know, you've all seen it. It's that sort of pill-shaped mic. Um, And the R88 is basically the stereo version of that. So there are two long ribbons in it, and they're arranged at a 90-degree angle, very much like a Blumline-style array of two figure-eight patterns. Um, And this has been... This was a game changer for me. I was recording drums when I first moved into this studio. I was recording drums and a drummer friend of mine, who's also an engineer, uh, was going to play on the session. And he was like, hey, I just got this new mic. I got a really good deal on it. Um, Let's put it up. So he brought over. He had an R88 and he tried it out. And for the first time in my entire career, I fell in love with uh, drum rooms um, because I've tried drum rooms of all kinds. I mean, I've tried stereo condensers. I've tried PZMs. I've tried, you know, small diaphragm mics. I've tried ribbons. I've tried them close. I've tried them far. Um, and nothing ever really just immediately made sense to me. Now, since that time, I've kind of learned other things that I really like on rooms as well. But at that time, I just hadn't ever really found a room mic sound that that was like, yes, that is going to do XYZ for me in the mix, in the drum mix. And the first time I heard that R88, it was like, I get it. Like, I get why room mics are so important because that sounds amazing. And, and it does sound amazing. Um, in my studio, that microphone lives on a specific mic stand and it's up all the time. Because if I ever need a room mic for gang vocals, for uh, an electric guitar amp, for drums, for anything, that mic gets hooked up. Um, I adore that microphone as a room mic for drums. It sounds amazing as an overhead as well. Um, And it can sound really great on like a 212 cabinet where one ribbon is kind of facing one speaker and the other is facing the other. Um, you know, it is quote stereo, but because it's so close to the amp and because it's a, a mono amp, um, it doesn't really get a stereo image per se, but it does get kind of a slightly like widened, like kind of more realistic image of the amp. But regardless, um, I, I don't even know how to describe the feeling when I heard that mic for the first time. It's, it was like an epiphany of like, wow. That is how good a room mic can sound. It just has this big low end, a smooth, smooth top end. Yeah, it can sometimes be a little bit dark for certain things, and you will have to EQ it. But being a ribbon, it takes EQ really, really well, um, and it's very easy to place. Even though it's very large, it's very easy to place. It has one uh, multi-pin cable on it that splits out to you know two you know XLRs like standard three-pin XLRs. So you just have to have one cable for it. You don't have to plug in two cables or anything weird. Um, it's 
got a uh, sort of like a swivel mount that you can use if you need to put it in a very specific kind of place. Um, man, it, it has solved a lot of problems for me. It's really an incredible microphone on, on anything drums. Um, anytime I do horns, so like a horn section, like a trumpet, trombone, sax, and maybe like a baritone sax or something, um, I adore this mic as a room mic for that because you can place all of them in a line like they're you know typically used to standing in a line and you can set that microphone back and I mean, it sounds like you're there. It sounds like you're in the room with the horns. Um, it, it's really amazing how good that mic sounds. And um, not only that, but it, for whatever reason, there's a certain pairing with the Millennia preamps, uh, in my case, the HV3C, Something about that combo, the R88 through the Millennia, is just spectacular. Now, another person that's a huge fan of this mic is John Cunaberti, who we interviewed um, about his One Mic series and about reamp and stuff like that. But the One Mic series uh, that he has on YouTube, which I, again, advise you to check out if you haven't, is recorded with a single R88 into a Millennia preamp. There's something about that combination that is just magical. I mean, there are there aren't many combinations that I find in this in the studio world where like a mic into a certain pre just is like magical. Like, sure, a U forty seven into a Neve pre is a classic chain, but it's not like exceptional. It's just like, yeah, that's a classic sound. We've heard it a million times. Or a fifty seven into a Neve preamp on snare. It's like, all right, yeah, we've heard that a lot. Um, but there's something about, maybe it's the impedance matching, maybe it's, I, I don't know what it is, but with the R88 and the Millennia preamp, it's just magic. And it, I mean, it does sound good into other preamps too, but man, there's something about that combo that's just stellar. Um, so if you're ever needing a really simple solution for stereo room mics on drums or for stereo overhead or for piano or for anything, the AEA R88 might be something worth considering. Now, I will give an honorable mention to the Royer SF12, which is another stereo ribbon mic. It's a different sound than the R88, but still a stellar microphone, uh, and they're about the same price. So I would check out both of those and consider them um, as a really awesome stereo ribbon solution for overhead stereo rooms, pianos, um, you know, group miking, if you're miking up an ensemble or something like that, really amazing microphones. Number two is the Sound Deluxe USA U195. Now, this microphone I have fallen in love with over the last couple years for multiple reasons. Number one, I first got it because I heard a, a little demo of it being used for voiceover, and I thought, man, that's a really killer microphone for voiceover. Um, it arguably beat out microphones that were three times the price, and so I bought one on eBay, and you know, it came, and it sounded great, and I was like, man, this is great. Well, I found myself starting to use it on literally anything. I mean, I have used that microphone on vocals and guitars and drums and keyboards, and I've used it on, you know, as a room mic, and I've used it on horns, I've used it on strings, I've used it literally on any instrument, and it, to me, is one of the most versatile microphones I've ever owned. Not only does it have a fat switch, but it also has a like a low cut switch. So you can make it fatter or you can make it a little bit thinner. Um, it has it's a cardioid only mic, but it does have a pad on it. And um, it's kind of, I would say, like a U87 that you EQ'd a little better. 
<laughs> um, a U87 can be a little bit thin and a little bit kind of mid-range heavy. Uh, and sometimes you need to add a little bit of top end to a U87. Well, I actually did a shootout with the U195 and a Stephen Paul modded U87, which is like a $9,000 microphone, like, uh, cause it was a vintage one that was modded by Stephen Paul. Well, I guess it was 7,000, but still a very expensive microphone. You know what I mean? And, uh, we did a shootout on acoustic guitar with the Stephen Paul U87 and, uh, the Sound Deluxe 195. And they were almost identical. The Sound Deluxe was a hair brighter, um, about two or three dB brighter above 10 K. And like, that was it. Like we used a spectrum analyzer and everything to try to hear the differences and, and visually prove, are there any differences between them? And that was really the only difference is that the sound deluxe had just a hair more top end, which me personally, I would rather have a little bit more top end that I could take away than not having the top end there that I might have trouble boosting. The other thing is, if you have a microphone that's a little bit darker and you need to boost the top end, you're also going to be boosting noise in that region. Whereas if you have a microphone that's a little bright and you remove, not only are you removing that brightness, but you're, you're dipping down noise in that frequency region as well. Um, so I would rather have a microphone that was a little bit too bright than one that was a little bit too dark. Um, and the 195 is truly amazing. It's absolutely the number one microphone I recommend to people um, that are like, I just need a good all around microphone. Uh, it's the 195. That's what I recommend. Um, like I was saying with the Mojave MA200, MA300, that's probably the second mic I would recommend if people need a really solid uh, kind of all around microphone. Now, the 195 is a solid state mic, but. Uh, I mean, it sounds incredible on guitar amps, on bass amps, on drums, on outside kick. It sounds, I love it as a stereo. It's one of the only other microphones that I like for drum rooms. So I turn on the fat switch and I'll use a stereo pair of them on drum rooms. And it's amazing. Um, sounds good as an overhead. Uh, sounds good on vocals. I love it on male and female vocals. Um, sounds great on acoustic guitar. I mean, it really is an awesome microphone, um, and I would recommend it to any of you. And again, similar to the Mojave, um, they're not that expensive. I think there are both the Mojave and the Sound Deluxe are both around twelve hundred dollars. Uh, it's really hard to beat for that price. I would pick it over, say, a four fourteen any day. Um, I sold my four fourteens actually a, a year or two ago because I, I just didn't use them. Um, they kept losing shootouts to other microphones, and I just never used them. They lost shootouts to the Charter Oak E700. They lost shootouts to uh, the 195. Um, uh, you know, 414s are a classic mic, but I just don't think they're made how they used to be. Um, the old 414s, um, especially like C12A era, uh, and then the early 414 like EBs, those sound different than the new ones. And I think they've kind of... Uh, I don't want to say like scammed because that's not really true. AKG is a great company. They're not scam artists, but I think they've kind of been riding on that reputation and kind of getting away with a lot because I know so many people through who have contacted me through the podcast and everything and people I know who like their first good microphone is a 414 or a 214. Um, and I just don't know where that comes from. 
but that's so many people. And I would try, I am going to try to convince people that their like their first good mic should be the 195 or the Royer or sorry, the Mojave, uh, MA 300 or MA 200. It's really, I mean, it's so much better to me than a 414. Um, it's incredibly quiet. It can take a ton of level, um, really, really awesome microphones. And, uh, it's funny because the Bach IFET is similar in terms of versatility, but it sounds totally different than the 195. It's really another great complement to the 195. Now, the Bach IFET is much more expensive, but still fantastic microphones. All right, my number one favorite microphone. Now, this one is definitely biased towards me. Um, and it's definitely biased a little bit towards the moment because I did just get this microphone about, oh, eight months ago, six months ago. But my favorite microphone at the moment is a Sound Deluxe U99. So David Box Microphones have made three appearances on my top 10 list with the Bach IFET, the Sound Deluxe 195, and now the Sound Deluxe U99. But this is one of my favorite condenser mics I've ever heard. Now, it is a tube mic. Um, but my gosh, I've almost never heard a microphone that performs as well on as many different types of vocals, um, in as many different genres as this mic does. Um, yes, it is a little bit bright, um, but the detail and the clarity in the mid range and the top end and the low end is just stellar. It has one of the most solid power supplies I've ever used for a tube microphone. It's incredibly low noise for a tube microphone. I don't know how he did it, but it might be the lowest noise tube mic I've ever used. I think, I mean, I don't know what the published specs are, but it is incredibly quiet. Um, it has a fully variable polar pattern. So similar to the Mojave, you can vary completely, um, you know, continuously between Omni and figure eight with cardioid being in the middle. So you can really adjust the tone from there as well and the amount of ambience. But then it has all these other switches on the mic. So it has a, uh, a three-way high-frequency switch. So you can do flat, boost, or cut. And then within that, you also have a two-way frequency selector, so a high-frequency choice or a low-frequency choice. And I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think the high mode is like maybe 5 or 10K, and the low mode is like 2.5K or something like that. I think that's right. Or maybe it's like 5K and then the high is 10K. I don't remember. But one is a higher-frequency shelf, and the other one's a little bit lower. They're both shelves. So within each of those, you can boost, you can leave it flat, or you can cut um, high frequencies. And it also has the signature Sound Deluxe fat switch, um, and it has a 20 dB pad. So with all of those things combined, um, man, you can get a really incredible amount of different tones from this single mic. Now, it's not a crazy cut or boost. It's really subtle. I think it's like... 2 dB or something like that, but it's just enough to 
to smooth out a sibilant vocalist or to brighten up a dark finger-picked guitar or to smooth out an overhead or and and microphones of that caliber typically don't have those types of switches like you look at like a U47 it doesn't have voicing switches you look at a C12 it doesn't have voicing switches um that's usually more for like lower price microphones that are trying to accomplish a lot um but the Soundelux U99 is one of the most amazing sounding condenser mics, uh, tube mics I've ever owned. And I own a lot of tube mics and I mean, vocalists love how it sounds on them. Um, they love the clarity. They love the detail. It sounds very real to them. Um, and it's a rather hi-fi microphone. And I must admit, I am a little bit biased towards the kind of U67 sound. I have a lot of microphones that are kind of in the like 67, 87 camp um, that I really, really love. Now, I do love the U47s as well, but it's a very different thing. Um the U67 style, just something about it speaks to me. I, I seem to really like how that works. It's almost like, you know, on guitar, I really like Telecasters. I don't know what it is, but I just, I like them. You know, I like other guitars. I love my Les Paul. I love my SG. But there is something about a Telecaster um, that just grabs me. Um, so this one is definitely not one I would recommend to everybody, but definitely check out the Sound Deluxe U99. It's a fantastic modern take on a U67 um, with some various switching options and tonal changes that you can do right on the mic. Um, it's not as expensive as a U67 or as like the popular uh, clones, like the Wunder CM67, which is a fantastic mic. Um, it's not that expensive. Now, it is a pricey mic, but man, I recently did an album uh, for a church, and that church had, uh, I think, four different, five different singers, and we used that microphone on almost all of them at some point or another, and it worked on all of them. Um, you know, we were switching back and forth between different vocalists at different times and we had different people in for backing vocals, for lead vocals, for, you know, overdubs, all kinds of stuff. And we kind of just left that microphone up that we could, so we could quickly, you know, set it up and adjust. And so I could put it up on a singer and if it was a little bright, I could flip the switch down to cut and, or if it was a little dark on a singer that was like a, maybe a little just darker voice or lower voice or singing quieter or something, I could flip it up to bright and it would work really well for that. Um, it's really a fantastic microphone and it is my favorite microphone at the moment. Um, you know, this list might adjust in a month from now. Uh, it's funny. I, I often get people that will send me emails and say things like, you know, you're, you said your favorite microphone was XYZ or you said your favorite plugin was whatever, whatever. And I was like... When, what episode did I say that? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, oh, this this one from, you know, 2012. I'm like, well, it's 2019 now. <laughs> um, you know, my tastes definitely change all the time. And I'm getting new microphones. You know, I, I get a handful of microphones every year. You know, maybe anywhere from one to five microphones a year, um, whether it's a cheap, you know, SM57 or a nicer mic. So my opinions change. And uh, the point is that at this moment, this is my top 10 list. SM57, Charter Oak E700, Royer 122, Bach IFET, Shure SM7, AEA N22, Mojave MA300 or MA200, the AEA RD8, the Sound Deluxe 195, and the Sound Deluxe U99. 
I love these microphones and I could record an entire band with these microphones. Now I wanted to give four honorable mentions that these were really close to being on this list. Number one is the Telefunken M80. Um, this is a dynamic mic that I adore on snare drum and, uh, it has a really tight polar pattern and it has a little bit more bottom and top than an SM57. And so I like it on snare a little bit better than an SM57. However, um, to me, the reason it did not make the top 10 is that it's not crazy versatile. Like it sounds good as a live vocal mic. It sounds good as a snare mic. Sounds pretty decent on toms. But I'm not crazy about it on guitar. I'm not crazy about it on other things that like an SM57 works on. You know, the, the M81 is a little, or sorry, the M80 and the M81 also are a little bit more kind of, you know, one trick ponies. But it is a great trick. Uh, the ne next one is the Telefunken M60 stereo set. So these are small diaphragm interchangeable capsule microphones that... Um, I love, I love these microphones on overheads. I love these microphones on uh, acoustic guitar. I love them as room mics. I love them as a stereo pair on like a classical guitar. Um, these are really well-priced, really great sounding, really versatile small diaphragm mics. And I would recommend them to anybody that's looking for a really solid set of stereo, uh, you know, small diaphragm condensers, the Telefunken M60s. Now they make a tube version also, the 260. Um, it's more expensive for sure, but it also is fantastic. I love those microphones that those would probably be like maybe number 11 for me. Um, you know, that was really hard pick, but I would definitely keep those close on that top list. And number four is the Wunder CM67. I adore this mic as well. Um, it probably would have made my top 10 list a couple years ago. Um, I do love this microphone on vocals and acoustic guitar and vocalists love this microphone as well. They love how it sounds on their voice. They love how, um, it, it's bright, but not sibilant, but still very smooth. Um, it's a really fantastic mic on acoustic guitar as well. Um, it's a really great mic. Um, but the Sound Deluxe being a similar mic that is not as expensive and has a pad and has a fat switch and has all these EQ switches, um, you know, it beat out the, the Wunder for the, for the top slot there. Um, but it is an awesome, awesome mic and very good sounding U67 recreation. And the fourth honorable mention would be uh, an AKG 451. Now, these microphones, a lot of people don't like them because they are bright. They are very bright condensers. Um, they're small diaphragm. Um, they're, there have been a ton of different versions over the years. The EB and the E and the B and the, you know, or I don't even remember all the versions. Um, I have a vintage pair of them, but I've also owned uh, the new version with the red switches, and I think that's called the C451B or something like that, um, and it's awesome as well. Um, but I I can't understate the importance of and the um, impression that I get from really good sounding bright microphones. Um, it. It's a different thing, and that, and in certain situations, it's terrible. But when you need it, 
it's really, really awesome. For example, one of my favorite places to use 451s is on finger-picked acoustic guitar. Because finger-picking on an acoustic can be a little bit dark, and especially if the strings are a little older, it can be kind of dull. And it can be really hard to get the clarity and brightness that you need out of it, especially if you're trying to make it cut through a mix. And the 451 is fantastic for that. It's also really great if you're doing, uh, if you're playing acoustic guitar with your fingers, like it's strummed with the fingers or the thumb, you know, it's a really awesome mic for that. I love them as overhead mics. I love them on hi-hat. I love them on ride. I love them on crash cymbals. Um, they're great as a percussion mic, so things like shaker or bongos or congas or anything, you know, hand percussion like that. And yes, they are bright, but it's funny because like everyone talks about like warmth and oh, I want a warm mic and big warm tube mic and all this. And then in the mix, they end up cranking up the top end on a Poltec or a Neve or something. You know what I mean? And sometimes... It's better to have a really bright mic on the way in, uh, like a C12 or like an AKG 451 or something like that that's rather bright, um, and then smooth it off if you need to. Now, again, in other situations, like with ribbon mics, it can be better to have a darker mic and then brighten it up as needed. Um, but it's just a great all-around small diaphragm mic that is bright, that comes in handy when you need that. So those are my honorable mentions. Thanks, everyone, for taking time to listen to this show. I hope you learned some things. I hope you uh, maybe had some products to consider. Special thanks to all of these companies making amazing products in modern times. Um, you know, none of these are vintage microphones other than my particular um, set of 451s. Um, None of these are vintage microphones. They're all made today. You can get any of them basically on, on Reverb or eBay, used or new, um, in some form or fashion. So if you guys have any questions, comments, send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go to recordingloungepodcast.com to check out our uh, resource hub uh, where I have a bunch of different links to different sources for you to learn more and where we'll have more episodes up there as well and other info and the blog and all of that stuff. Also make sure you're on the lookout for the other three episodes in this series, my top 10 plugins, my top 10 studio tools, and my top 10 guitar and bass tools. Coming very soon. Uh, thanks for taking the time to listen, and I'm glad to be back making episodes. I hope to make more episodes as time goes on. Um, it is very difficult for me to find the time to do the podcast. I I'm just going to be real about that. Um, it is very difficult for me to find the time to do it. Um, I don't make much money on the podcast. I know I have the Patreon and I do get some pay, uh, some PayPal donations. I really appreciate those and those do help. Um, but it's mostly, it's not as much about the money as it is about the time. It takes a long time to make podcast episodes and it's time I don't really have. I'm trying to get better personally at uh, work-home balance um, trying to spend more time with my wife and with my friends and not be so much of a hermit. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's hard because if I've had a, a 10 hour day, you know, do I want to go hang out with my wife or do I want to spend four hours making a podcast episode? You know, <laughs> that can take quite a bit of time. I would say the average time is between two to five hours. Um, sometimes it's very quick. Sometimes it's not. 
And for anybody who's been a listener of mine for a while, you know that I'm an audio engineer first. I'm not a podcaster first, okay? This is a, originally kind of just like a side project thing, just for fun, and it turned out that people liked it, and the show got kind of popular, so that's cool. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm in the studio all the time, every single week. I'm booked, you know, right now I'm booked almost a month, and that's pretty common for me to be booked out about a month, maybe more. Um, and you know, people want to record. I'm really happy about that. I, I'm, my career is going well. Like it's hard for me to complain about that. Um, but therefore it's also hard for me to justify, um, spending time doing, uh, you know, tons of podcast content when I have people calling and saying, Hey, uh, can I get some studio time? Right. Um, or when I've got mixes to do or when I've got edits to do or things like that. So um, uh, the podcast really kind of has to come uh, when I've got cancellations or when I've got uh, some free time at the end of the day. Like today I finished my mix early and I was able to do a podcast episode. Um, and so, you know, in previous times I've done the podcast episodes really late at night. But like I said, I'm trying to get better on a personal level at the work-life balance thing and not be out here in the studio at two in the morning, right? Like uh, as much as I am a night owl and as much as I am a bit of a hermit in that regard, I'm trying to get better. So uh, I think anybody who's uh, married and uh, or has a partner of some kind, uh, I'm sure you would all understand that uh, that part of it where it's it's important to to constantly be learning how to uh, adjust those balances. So that's, I would say, the biggest reason why I've had such a long time off the podcast is um, just trying to get better at that. I've been super busy. Um, last year was my best year ever in the studio um, in terms of like uh, being booked and making good money. And so that's a great thing. I'm really happy with that. I'm really proud of that. Um, but of course, other things in my life had to uh, kind of take a step back to allow me to do that. Um, and anyway, is I don't want to go on and on and on about this, but point is, I appreciate all of you who've still been listening to the podcast. Um, you know, the podcast is not dead. I was just on a temporary hiatus. I hope to be making more episodes very soon, uh, and and trying to figure out a better schedule for when I can do podcast episodes. And I'm hoping to do more YouTube content. And uh, I'm I'm really hoping to try to get some paid content this year, where I actually have some uh, courses and things like that that you can download and purchase from the website, um, things that uh, people really want to know that are just too hard for me to do on a podcast episode, um, but that are too extensive for me to feel comfortable doing on a free YouTube video. You know, it's kind of a weird mixture where it's like, do I really want to put out like a two hour YouTube video? You know, <laughs> it's like, that's a lot of work for, you know, for basically no pay. So I'm going to try to do some more of that. And I'm hoping to do that later this year. Um, if I can get some time in the summer to do, it, it would be great. Anyway, so there's a lot of cool things coming in the future. I hope to get uh, more updates on those very soon. The other thing is that over time, I've covered a lot of topics that I've really wanted to cover. So I need your suggestions. Please send me show suggestions on uh, email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, 
or you can fill out the form on the website. I love to hear your suggestions for what you want me to talk about. Some things uh, might be better in the form of a YouTube video. Some things might be better in the form of a podcast. Um, but some some of my favorite episodes have been uh, suggestions from listeners. So please continue to do that. I do keep a list of all the suggestions I've had, even if I haven't done an episode on them yet. Um, I do keep that in a list. So please contact me and let me know what you want me to talk about on the show. It's very helpful. And um, oh, also, I wanted to mention I sent out an email about this. But if any of you are having issues with your iTunes um, some people have asked me, uh, they've had issues where iTunes will pop up with a certain window that says something like, cannot find the server at uh, Pacific Resonance. That is my old server from the old podcast. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but um, I had to switch servers sort of abruptly um, last year. I think it was last year. And it was a real pain in the butt, but I had to switch servers or the podcast was basically going to go away. It was a really... a terrible situation but um luckily itunes uh was able to switch over my podcast feed um to where uh it would still connect to the new episodes and not like get rid of all my ratings and reviews and all of that so that was good but some of you might still have some old episodes so if the solution to that is to just delete all of the episodes you have from this podcast and then resubscribe on the iTunes store. All of my stuff now is done through Amazon Web Services. So that's a company that's not going to go anywhere and I won't have to switch my servers for the foreseeable future. So that's really good. Makes me feel a lot better there. Um, anyway, so thanks for being a podcast listener and supporter. I hope to see you guys very soon. Uh, make sure you check out the other three episodes in the series coming very soon and I'll talk to you next time.